All right, I'm going to invite Bang to come on up and do today's scripture reading for us. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Good morning, church. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it, it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. Slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our uh, presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lack it, that there may, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all process, uh, process gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noise gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice of wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is from the book of First Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, 17. So the past few weeks, 
We have been going through a series talking about the church. We've been looking at what is the church. We started out the first week by looking at the Bible, God's word, and seeing that God's word needs to be foundational for everything we are and do as a church. That, that what the church is needs to be based on God's wisdom, not human wisdom. Then the next week, we looked at um, the Bible and we saw what the Bible says the church is. And we saw that according to the Bible, the church is the people of God, built on the foundation of Jesus, assembled for the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel to those who don't yet know him. So we said the church is the people, not a building, not an event. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus, that the church is, we, we come together as a church and we come together for the glory of God. And then we also exist so that people who don't know God yet can know him. And I know that's a lot if you want to unpack more. We have a full sermon on our website that unpacks it more. Then last week, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we saw the way we live as a community is meant to hold forth God's truth to an unbelieving world and show them that God's word is true. So there's a way that we're called to live as a community. And then today, I want to start by asking you a question. We're going to put two pictures on the screen. We've said the church is the people, but which of these two pictures more accurately depicts the way that the people in a church are called to interact with one another? We said we're a collection of people. Are we a collection of people more like a bag of marbles is a collection of marbles, or more like a body is a collection of body parts. So the bag of marbles, it's, it's a collection of individual items held together from the outside by the bag. Their connection is very loose. They're all more or less the same thing, and you can move them around, no problem. You can take a marble out, and you still have you know, the bag of marbles. It's still just a bag of marbles. It doesn't really matter where they're positioned within the bag or how they move together. But on the other hand, the body parts are held together from the inside by the body. The body doesn't simply hold them together as a, a group, it's also their source of life and their source of nourishment. So you can't simply take a foot and stick it right here on the chest. That's not going to work. That would be ridiculous. Um, and, and not only would it be ridiculous, it would stop doing its purpose properly, and it would probably kill the foot because you just severed it from its source of life. And with the body, what happens to one part of the body is really important to the rest of the body because they share a source of life and nourishment. So you can't just say like, oh, I have a few cancer cells in my little toe. Not a big deal. It's just my little toe. Because your little toe is connected to the rest of the body and a few cancer cells in your little toe can kill you if you let them go untreated for long enough. So because of the way that the body is connected, each part is it's different. It's a collection of different things, but it's a collection of different things that share a common source of life and that work together in very specific ways to, to give that body life. So which of these, the bag of marbles or the body, is a clearer picture of what we're called to do and be as the church? Is the church simply a group held together by the fact that we have a place to gather and sing together and listen to a talk every week. That would make us more like the bag of marbles, just a group of individuals held together by something outside us 
that can come and go as we please without it really impacting one another? Or is the church a group that's connected to one another through a common source of spiritual life who need to be connected to that source and therefore who need to be connected to one another in order to live healthy and fruitful lives like a body? Well, today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through chapter 13, verse 7, and we're going to see the church is called to be more like a body than a bag of marbles. We'll see that the church is the body of Christ. We'll look at diversity, unity, and love. But first, before we jump in and look at the passage, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that the church is your creation, that you're the one who created it and formed it and who builds it. I pray that you'd be speaking to us today, showing us what it looks like and means for us to live properly as your people in the church. Grow our love for you and for one another through this time and be honored in, in my speaking and all of our listening and our obedience to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. So first off, we have diversity. Paul starts out this passage in chapter 12, verse 12, by contrasting the diversity and the unity of the church. He says, the body is one and has many members. There's, there's unity and diversity. We're going to start out looking at the diversity, and then we'll go back and look at the unity. And I think on one level, the diversity of the church may be easier to see a lot of the time than our unity. Because think about it, we, we come here and we gather on Sundays, but we come from all over the place. And then as soon as we're done, we scatter back to all over the place. And the, comparatively, the amount of time in a week that we spend in one place is very small compared to the time that we spend other places. And if you look around the room, you see a bunch of people who look and sound different than you. We have different skin colors, and we have different accents, and we have different countries that we come from. We, we're a very diverse group. We have diversity in age and people at different life stages. We have teenagers and kids and parents and adult singles and empty nesters and we have people who have different passions and skills and abilities and interests than one another. We have people who are computer programmers and people who don't know how to use technology. We have pilots and people who are afraid to fly, right? We, we are a diverse group. It's easy to see that in many ways we are diverse and different from one another. So when Paul says in verse 12, just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, my guess is that it's easier for us to see the diversity of the many members more clearly than we see the one body a lot of the time. It's, it's easy to see the fact that we have many parts, and sometimes it can be hard to see how all those parts come together to form one body. But although seeing that side of the equation may be easier, Paul is saying in this passage that focusing only on our differences can be dangerous. When we focus only on our differences, it can lead to pride and competition and elitism. That's exactly what's happening in the church at Corinth, the church that Paul is writing to here. There are different people in the church who have different spiritual gifts, 
And everyone is proud of their spiritual gifts, and they want to have a competition to see who has the most impressive spiritual gifts. And they've sort of created this hierarchy to say this gift is more important than that gift. And if you have this gift, then you're more important to the church. You're more valuable to the church. And the people who don't have that gift, well, they're less important. And so people who had the gifts that everyone saw as ordinary gifts, dull gifts, would feel like they didn't really belong in that church in Corinth. Because obviously their contribution to the church was far less valuable than everyone else's contribution. And that's what Paul's talking about in verses 15 and 16, where there are certain body parts that are like, you know, I'm just an ear, I'm not an eye, I don't belong in the body. I'm not as important. And and Paul's saying, no, that's not true. The body needs every part. You are important. Even if your gifts don't seem as awesome as everyone else's. And on the other hand, you had people who had the the quote-unquote valuable and awesome gifts. Everyone else would look up to them and say, wow, you can do that. And in this church, these people had a tendency to look at people who didn't have those gifts and be like, you know, My gifts are very important. The church needs me, but it doesn't really need you. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 21, where certain body parts say to the other body parts, I don't need you. And Paul's saying there's no place for that in the church because we are a body and we need one another. See, what's happening in this this church that Paul is writing to in Corinth, they see their diversity very clearly. They understand that they're diverse, but they don't see their unity in the midst of their diversity. And that skewed perspective of seeing just the diversity and not the unity led them to pride, thinking, I'm better, I don't need you. It led them to judgmentalism, looking down on others. And it led them to shame, feeling like I'm not good enough because I lack certain gifts. And Paul is writing this passage to correct this skewed perspective in the church. And notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't negate their diversity. He doesn't say, just get rid of your diversity. It's it's causing all these problems. No, he says, actually, the diversity is a good gift. In order for the church to be the church, you need all sorts of diverse people. In order for a body to be a body, you need eyes and ears and hands and feet. You need all the different parts, but they need to work together in unity. And as he makes this point about the church, he compares it to a body. He actually, in verse 27, calls the church the body of Christ. And he says, if you want to understand how diversity is meant to work in the church, look at your own body. Now, in our own bodies, there may be parts that we naturally just just value more than other parts. Like, I think most of us love being able to see If there's one thing our body can do that we're more prone to be like, I really appreciate that, sight is probably right near the top of that list, right? And if there's a part of our body that we're like, eh, you know, it's nice to have, but I don't really think about it much. It, It doesn't seem the most important thing. Maybe our feet, I don't know. I mean, that that's if you look at Paul's list here, he has the eyes at the top constantly in these comparisons and the feet at the bottom. I think there's some positioning there, like the eyes are the highest, the feet are the lowest, but I think there's also some, like, some relative importance that people might assign to those. But if you think about it, say that you do value your eyes more than your feet. Your feet are still so important. 
your feet and allow you to walk and run and stand. No one in their right mind would be like, you know, I love my eyes so much more than my feet. I wish my feet and all the rest of my body could just be one big eye. You're laughing because it's ridiculous. But that's, that's the point that Paul is making here. If we emphasize one gift above all the others in the church and say, couldn't everyone just be like that? Think about what we'd be missing out on. I mean, just following that train of thought, if you could hypothetically turn your whole body into one big, huge eyeball, how counterproductive would that be? Like one, you'd die because you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't breathe. Even hypothetically, if you could stay alive, you actually couldn't see because your eyeball, it takes in the images, but then you need your nerves to carry those images to your brain and the brain to interpret the images for you to actually make sense of anything that your eyeballs are taking in. So if your whole body was an eye, you couldn't actually interpret those images. So you'd be dead, you'd be blind, and even if you could see and stay alive, you can see what's happening in the world, you can't do anything in response to it. Right? You can't, an eyeball can't move on its own. It needs the rest of the body around it in order to move. So you'd be stuck, paralyzed, you'd be blind, and you'd be dead. That's so counterproductive. If the whole body is just one part, you're not functioning properly. But notice this also. It's not just that the body needs the rest of the parts to operate properly. The eyeball itself needs the rest of the body to operate properly. The eyeball cannot fully be an eyeball if there is not a heart to pump blood to it and veins and arteries to carry that blood and lungs to breathe in the oxygen and a stomach to digest food and nerves to carry the signals to the brain and hands and feet that can respond to what the eye sees. The whole, the, the whole body needs one another and in order for the eyeball to properly live as an eyeball and do its job, it needs all the other parts of the body around it. And in the same way, all of us in the church need one another. We need one another in order for the church to operate properly, but we also need one another in order for us to operate properly as individuals within the church. So I have certain gifts and abilities. The church needs those gifts and abilities. And if you have different gifts and abilities than me, it could be tempting to look up front every week and be like, well, I can't preach like Eric does. The church might not, maybe doesn't need me. But Paul is saying that's absolutely not true. The fact that you don't have my gifts and abilities means that you do have other gifts and abilities that I don't have. And the church needs your gifts and abilities just as much as it needs mine. Because if everyone in the church was a preacher, who's going to lead music? If everyone in the church is leading music, who's going to teach the kids? If everyone in the church is teaching kids, who's going to welcome guests? We all need one another. We all need diversity within the church for the church to function properly. Diversity in the church is a good thing because it helps us to operate properly as a body. And so one practical takeaway from this, this point of diversity is that it's important for us in the church to invest in relationships with people in the church who are different than us. You know, I know it's, it's easiest to group together with people who are in some way similar to us, right? As, as an American, 
it's naturally easier for me to form a new friendship with another American than with, say, a Filipino. Now, I have lots of Filipino friends. I love my Filipino friends. But it takes more work to form a friendship with a Filipino person than it does for me to form a friendship with an American person. Because we can have these, these common background understandings when we start a conversation, and it's easier to just start talking and feel like I've known another American for years and years than it is to do that with a Filipino person. And so naturally, I can find it easier to, to hang out with other Americans than with people from other countries. Or as a parent of a baby who's pointing to me in the back of the room, it's easier for me at this stage of my life to form friendships with other parents of babies than it is to form friendships with teenagers, right? I, I just naturally have more to talk about with parents of babies than I do with teenagers who are in high school. And, and that's true of all of us. We all naturally tend towards people who are similar to us in some way or other. But the church needs diversity in order to be the church. We don't just need people who are different from us to be physically in the same room as us once a week. We need people who are different than us to be deeply involved in our day-to-day -day lives. Because when we connect with people who are different than us, they're gonna help us grow in ways that we would never grow if we just hang out with people who are like us. So I wanna ask you, where are the areas where you tend to connect with people who are just like you? And how can you connect with people different than you in those areas in the church family? So maybe, for example, you have no problem connecting with people who have a different skin color than you. But maybe all your friends in the church are at the exact same life stage as you. If that's you, how can you connect with people in the church who are at a different life stage, maybe younger people or older people, so that you can learn and grow together and be the body together? Or maybe you have no problem connecting with people in the church who have different interests than you. But when you take a step back and you, you think about the different friends you have in church, you realize that actually, they all come from a similar income bracket to you. What would it look like for you to make friends with people in the church who are richer or poorer than you so that you're getting these different perspectives, so that you're making friends with people who are different than you in the church? Where are the areas where you tend to connect with people who are just like you? And how can you build deeper relationships with people in the church who are different than you in those areas? You know, in my experience, one of the best best ways to do this is by being part of an intergenerational community group. A community group is a small group that gets together on a regular basis to look at God's word together and study it and talk about how it applies to our lives. And if you're in one of these small groups with people who are different than you, that's just a natural way to connect with them and build relationships and, and get to know them. So if you're interested in joining one of these groups, come find me after service and I'd love to help you get connected with one. Because we as a church, we're a diverse group and we need that diversity in order to operate properly. And so I, I would encourage us to be intentional about not just showing up on Sundays, but actually getting to know one another in a way that we can grow and learn from that diversity. And as we talk about this diversity, we need to realize the diversity in the church only displays itself properly when it's used in the context of our unity. See, diversity on its own 
can be dangerous, but diversity used with unity is powerful. Because as a church, we're not just many parts, we're many parts united in one body. If we're just a diverse group without being united, that leads to competition. And Paul is writing this passage because this church sees their diversity, but they don't see it in light of their unity, and that's leading them to fight with one another. And he's reminding them there's no room for fighting with one another because you're united as the body of Christ. And so it might be worth asking the question, where does that unity come from? How do we become that body of Christ? And it comes, we see in the Bible, through, through Jesus and his death on the cross for our sin. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, we're enemies of God. We're living in rebellion against him. And that our rebellion against God leaves us alienated from him and from one another. But when we trust in Jesus, when, when we trust in the forgiveness that he offers us through his death for our rebellion in our place on the cross, that Jesus then takes us, takes everyone who believes in him and, and forms us into this new organism, the body of Christ. And that as different individuals are brought into his body, we're actually all being brought together because he only has one body. And so as different people are brought into his body, they're brought into connection with one another. And Jesus is at work in the world through his body right now, through us. It means that if you're a Christian, you're united not only to God, but also to every other Christian in the world. We need one another. We, we need a, to be connected with one another in order to operate properly as the people of God. So think about this. Do you ever feel like if I were to just stop coming to church, no one would really notice and it wouldn't really impact the church? Do you ever feel like, you know, the church may need certain people like preachers or musicians, but I'm not all that essential. What Paul is saying here in this passage is that's not true. That's not true. Everyone, everyone is essential. Because we are a body, we need all our parts. As one body, we, need, we all need everyone in the body to be there in all our diversities. Just like in our physical bodies, every part is important. In the church, every part is important. You know, I mentioned earlier, no part of the body can lord its function over the other parts because every part needs every other part to do its job properly. It's like the eyeball. Without the other parts, it can't live. It can't see. It can't move. It's useless. And in the same way, all the members of the church need one another because we're part of one body. I have a, an example from, from my past ministry experience of, of how people who may not seem to have anything to contribute in a certain ministry actually can contribute immensely and powerfully. I think many of you know, I used to spend several years as a youth leader in a church. And if you were in charge of building a youth ministry and you had to recruit volunteers to serve in that ministry, stereotypically, what type of person are you looking for? You want people who are outgoing, energetic, big people, people, uh, yeah, people person, um, you know, really exciting personalities, connect with teenagers, yeah. And don't get me wrong, it's always great if you're leading a youth ministry to have a couple people like that on the team. 
But what I found is if all your volunteers are like that, you're actually gonna totally miss out on connecting with some of your youth. Because there are a lot of teens who aren't really into energetic and exciting and big group activities. And when energetic, exciting, big group activities are happening, they hide in the corner. And if all your leaders are energetic and exciting and, and excited to be out there, they're gonna be right in the middle of the activity and no one's gonna notice, hey, there's a kid hiding in the corner. But if you have a leader who's a little bit more of an introvert, a little bit quieter, maybe more shy, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna notice that kid in the corner because that's right where they would be during that game. And they're gonna be able to have a really good conversation with that kid in the corner that everyone else just totally overlooked because they're gonna notice that kid when no one else does. And actually, these leaders can be some of the most important leaders because they're gonna have the deepest conversations. Because the energetic and exciting leaders, you know what they need to do? They constantly need to be surrounded by 20 kids and they're not gonna have a conversation with any one kid that lasts longer than two minutes on a normal basis. But the quieter, more shy leader has no problem just going sitting in the corner with one kid for 20 or 30 minutes. And a lot of times the greatest, deepest conversations in the youth ministry come with those leaders who stereotypically everyone would be like, they're not the type of person you want leading a youth ministry. We all need one another. Our diversity strengthens our unity and our unity strengthens our diversity because we are one body. We're able to complement each other with our different strengths. And notice one other thing about the unity Paul is talking about here in this passage. So last week, if you listened to the sermon, we talked a little bit about the universal church versus the local church. We said the universal church is all Christians at all times in all places throughout history. The local church is specific manifestations of that in specific times and places. So the bridge church is a local church. And everyone who's part of the bridge church that is truly a Christian is also part of the universal church. You with me so far? Yeah? Okay, so on one level, the things Paul is saying here about universe, unity and diversity, they're true of the universal church. There's one body of Christ. We're all called to support one another. But Paul is writing all of these things to a specific local church. He's commanding them to live out this reality in the local church. Because in the local church, we are members of one another. And yes, member in this passage is speaking about body parts, not necessarily members of an organization. But one really tangible way to demonstrate the fact that we are members of one another is through joining as a member at the local church that you're part of. Uh, I mentioned we have the handouts on the seats today about membership. I encourage you to read through that and learn more about membership here at the bridge. Um, we're going to have some membership classes coming up soon. I encourage you, if you're not a member yet, to, to think about joining for those. Um, but I realize, one, one thing I realize in talking about membership, there's no specific Bible verse that says like, you shall become a member of your local church. It's, there's nowhere that it's spelled out that clearly in the Bible. But the, the longer I've been around the church and the more I've studied the Bible, the more and more convinced I am 
that it is a biblical and good thing to become a member of a local church. I mean, in terms of today's passage, it's a way of tangibly demonstrating this spiritual reality that we are members of the body of Christ and that we need one another. Like Les was saying earlier, it's, it's a way of, of showing that we belong to the body by committing ourselves to a body. And I could go into lots of depth about different reasons that membership is important and biblical and helpful. Um, I'll, I'll share one for now that comes from sort of outside this passage. As elders, Les and Arnell and I were called to look after the Bridge Church spiritually. There are several passages in the Bible that talk about how elders will be held accountable for how we lead the church. Um, one of them is Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says, we'll give an account before God for the Bridge Church, which as an elder is terrifying. The idea that someday I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me about all of you and how you did spiritually, and I'm going to be judged based on that. Like, that's, that's terrifying. And one of the things that makes that extra difficult and extra terrifying is, is just the difficulty of defining who is part of the Bridge Church. Right? I think on one level, God's going to hold us accountable for what we did with, with everyone who walked through the door even once. But I think there's a, there's a core group that would say the bridge is my home church. And I think God's going to hold us to a higher standard for how we interacted and how proactive we were at pursuing growth in that core group. And so, you know, just from that perspective, your willingness to step up and say, like, I officially am part of that core group. I, I want to be included in that core group makes our job so much easier by giving us that clarity of who are we actually spiritually accountable for. Um, and, and joining as a member gives us that clarity. It's a, it's a way of publicly saying, I want the elders at this church to be accountable for me spiritually. And not joining as a member is a way of publicly saying, I don't want the elders at this church to be accountable for me spiritually. Which I realize in our world, we love freedom and individuality. Um, but being in a place where you don't have any godly leaders who are accountable for you, it's spiritually dangerous. So even if the bridge isn't your home church, I encourage you to join as a member at whatever church is your home church so that you have leaders who are looking after you and who are accountable for you. And I realized for a long time, the bridge has been a lot more lax in terms of emphasizing membership. Like Les was saying in his testimony, that, that for a long time, it's sort of been like people who attend and serve regularly are treated as de facto members. Um, but, but something I realized during COVID, when we weren't able to meet up in person, and we couldn't see people on a regular basis and couldn't serve on a regular basis, is that having a formal membership list made it really easy to say, like, I know we have a, a responsibility as elders to follow up with, with these people. And if you are someone who's been involved at the church for a long time and serves, but isn't formally a member and you slipped through the cracks and didn't get followed up with as much during the past few months, I apologize for that. Um, but I really encourage you to join as a member so that it doesn't happen again in the future if a season like this comes up. So joining as a member helps us as elders to do our role properly by telling us that you want us to be accountable for you spiritually. And like I said, there are lots of other biblical reasons that I think membership is a good thing. 
you can read through some of those in the flyer that's on your seat. Um, but yeah, I, two big things to remember right now is one, it's a way of tangibly demonstrating our unity in Christ. And two, it helps us as elders in doing the job that God called us to do of leading the church. So in light of this, we're going to have some membership classes coming up soon. We'll probably have to change the format a little bit from how we normally do them due to COVID restrictions. And we'll announce how we're going to do that based on how big the, the interest is in signing up for the class. But if you're interested in learning more about membership, get in touch with me or Les or Arnell, and we would love to let you know what the details are of that membership class when it starts. So the church is diverse. The church is unified. It's, it's a diverse unity. It's a unified diversity. And, and what's the goal of all this? Well, it's, it's love. The goal is that as we live out our diversity and unity, it will lead to love. See, in this church in Corinth, everyone was so focused on their spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts, they're good things. They're given to us by God. That's good. But the problem is, everyone was focused on their gifts rather than how they could serve one another with those gifts. And so the gifts became a showcase for promoting themselves rather than tools for loving and serving one another. And at the end of chapter 12 and into chapter 13, Paul is reminding them, one, all the gifts, they're given by God, so there's no grounds for boasting in them as if there's something special about you in having this gift. And two, love is the most excellent way to use the gifts you have. The goal of our diversity and unity is love. Love turns the focus away from ourselves. Love leads us to proactively look for ways to, to serve one another and build one another up. Love ends the competition between people in the church because it's fundamentally others-focused. And realize, true love is hard. Like, it's really difficult. It's not just about happy feelings. If you look through this list in chapter 13, it's about practical actions as well. And realize this, this list in chapter 13, the, the classic love passage, the primary context it was written for is not marriage, although it applies in marriage. It's actually written in the context of relationships in the local church. Paul wrote this to be applied within our relationships with one another in the church. And this is hard to do, right? Like in verse seven, Paul says, love bears all things. Why does he need to say that? You know why? Because sometimes the people that we're called to love can be unbearable. That's why Paul needs to say that love bears all things because love is difficult. It's not about getting what's convenient for me. It's about serving others and seeking what's best for them. You know, I think in our culture, it's often easier to keep some level of, of relational distance between people so we don't have to love them in such practical and tangible ways. We feel like love is just pleasant feelings and it's way easier to have pleasant feelings about people when those pleasant feelings don't have to translate into concrete actions, like being patient with them. Isn't it so much easier to love people that you never have to be patient with? But, but Paul is saying love shows itself through concrete actions, not just pleasant feelings. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you got irritated with someone else in the church? You don't have to say it out loud, but just think to yourself, when was the last time you got irritated with someone in the church? 
Maybe some of you are like, this morning, I get irritated with people in the church all the time. And maybe some of you are like, oh, no, 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 no. That would be horrible if I got irritated at someone else at church. And if you look at Paul's description of love here, I think both of these responses actually fail to love the other people in the church. Because when, when Paul says in verse five, love is not irritable, he only says that because he expects us to have deep enough relationships with one another in the church that we're gonna irritate each other. And so if you don't have deep enough relationships with other people in the church that they sometimes irritate you, you're not living out the Christian life properly. But then Paul says love is not irritable, which means that if you have those deeper relationships, but your go-to response is just always to be irritated, you're failing to live out the Christian life properly. It's hard. It, it feels impossible, right? And that's because we can't do it on our own power. We need our hearts to be transformed by Jesus. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in this way. We can't do it on our own. And also notice that love involves commitment. In verse seven, Paul says, love bears all things. Love endures all things. There's a sticking and staying power to love. It doesn't just walk out the door when things get difficult. It stays with people. It's committed to them even when they're difficult. And again, one practical way of expressing this commitment tangibly is through church membership. The church is meant to be a community of love. It starts with God's love for us that sends Jesus to rescue us. And in response to God's love for, we, for us, we love God and we love one another, even when it's difficult. So the church is the body of Christ. We're a body made up of diverse parts with diverse gifts, none more important or valuable than the other because we all need each other. We're diverse, but we're unified in our diversity. And that means we have to use our diverse skills and gifts to serve and love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your love that takes the initiative to come after us, to rescue us. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church community that truly loves one another, that is diverse, yes, but that uses our diversity as a way of, of serving and building up the people around us. God, give us a commitment to one another to investing deeply in one another's lives, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we'd rather not. Make us more like you. Teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.